Hello, it's Gareth here. Welcome along to Somewhere on Earth. We're in our studio here in London and we also do have another voice that you're about to hear from Sao Paulo in Brazil. You might even be able to guess who it is. Here we go. Yes, joining me today, of course, is Angelica Maori over there in Sao Paulo. How's it going over there, Angelica? Have you recovered from your adventures in the Amazon? Yeah, just about, Gareth. Uh, I, I got dengue fever, you know. No. Um, yeah, it, when took, you, it so, took me a while to, uh, to recover. but It would. It, it, I managed in the end. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, that's uh, quite often you just come on and you'll you'll say something in quite a kind of, you know, conversational, underhand kind of way that will be a bit shocking or astounding. And that is one of those things. Gosh, you've had dengue. That's how awful for you. Anyway, I'm sorry to hear you had that. And um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll still treat you gently in this edition, I think. It's probably... Oh, thank right. you, Gareth. You're such a gentleman. <laughs> I really all, appreciate it. chivalry. There we are. All right. Let's get on with the show. Coming up in this edition. This week sees the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Now, one of the many places to look for resilience in this country that's taken and is taken such a pounding is, of course, in the world of technology. Before the conflict, Ukraine was already well-known for having a thriving tech sector. But since 2022, despite the destruction, despite many people having left and despite men being called up to fight, there is still a thriving tech scene in that country. At least we're about to find out how thriving it still is. We're going to assess that scene and also we're going to hear about the new university in Ukraine with a kind of startup mindset and it's been taking shape since 2022. It's all right here on the Somewhere on Earth podcast. Well, literally a week before that full-scale invasion, a new university had just established. So what a time to start such a venture. This is the SET University, where SET stands for Science Entrepreneurship Technology. The tagline is Reinventing Higher Education in Ukraine to Empower Future Tech Innovators. To put it mildly, SET University has certainly had to pivot, given the situation. In fact, degree programmes have swung towards cybersecurity and defence tech, not surprisingly. More now from the university's president, Irina Volnetska. For us, technology is our only option because uh, uh, if you work in tech, you can uh, work uh, remotely, you can work in the bomb shelters like anytime you want. And we managed to work with the Starlinks, with generators, etc. Et and if you work in traditional industry, conventional industry, you need like spaces, devices, a lot of things, and a huge number of uh, traditional industries were physically ruined, so they can't do it uh, in a digital way. Also, um, we have a lot of clients outside of Ukraine. And when the war started, I know that a lot of outsourcing companies, they contacted all, all their clients and asking for, uh, for their contracts from the Russian outsourcing companies. That is exactly what helped them uh, for the first year. Uh, because we still, like, there were a lot of people, a lot of companies who wanted to help Ukraine, even to earn money in such a way. Like, so they provided Ukrainians with the contracts. When uh, the war started, we launched uh, the courses, uh, the, the courses for people who want to switch from 
uh, traditional industry to uh, tech industry and like in two weeks we received like 5000 applications and after us the ministry of uh, digital transformation they also launched the course for the first uh, in the history not only i think not only ukrainian history but uh, they had more uh, female applicants than male because really people just need a new job and uh, the only job that you can find in ukraine it's only in tech because tech is still keep growing which brings us to the set university then so tell us about the university what is the the set university i registered the legal entity only one week before the war so our students they create a startup instead of writing uh, thesis but uh, the war started and in the best uh, traditions of startups we pivoted a couple of times for us actually it was a question of survival Right now, we want uh, to respond to the most critical issues that are happening in Ukraine. And uh, as a university, we need to teach. So when the war started, we uh, canceled our like master degree or like degrees, all our plans. And we started to provide people in Ukraine with short term courses because uh, we uh, understood that it's not only the physical war, but it's also a digital war. It is the war of technology and uh, uh, Ukraine will be on the front line of cybersecurity development, defense tech for many years. So we started the short courses uh, for cybersecurity. We received uh, like 5,000 applications. So we taught uh, just the, like ordinary people from traditional industries how to join tech. And uh, then we also partnered with uh, different organizations, like only like to teach uh, people uh, some jobs like for beginners in technology. Right now, actually, we came back to our initial plan. We launched a master's degree. Our mission was about innovations, about startups, etc. But what we saw with our students that they want to create defense tech startups. The majority of them, they want uh, to contribute to the defense tech from investment investments perspective that all investors that are coming to Ukraine, they are really like very interested in, interested in defense tech. But, you know, completely understandable at a time like this. And it's a fascinating model because you're partly a startup and at the same time you're an institution of higher education, you're recruiting undergraduates and, and you just said master's students there. So so tell me about that unique vision then to create a university based on a startup culture. It was from the beginning, uh, my team and me, we came from business, so we are not from academia. And maybe sometimes it's a problem, sometimes it's good, but we try to combine all our business approaches that we learned from business environment, from startups. That's why uh, we know how business works, how startup works. The, the technology is moving faster that, uh, than you can uh, write a book, for example, for the students. That's why we decided that we also need to move fast in education. And uh, right now in Ukraine, you don't have a choice. You just, you can't plan anything. I mean, because you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. That's why we uh, try to work in the um, uh, startup mode, gathering all best practices from all over the world. We have partnerships with different universities uh, from all over the world because everyone wants to help us, like to teach us, to support us. But uh, in terms of education, right now it is uh, super hard to plan something on a long-term perspective. Personally, me and my team, we believe that education is our future because for uh, tech sector growth, we need educated talents. 
And right now we, we experience the biggest brain drain in the history of Ukraine. And, and of course, it must be very challenging to think into the long term, given the predicament in which Ukraine finds itself. And I know that you're planning to launch undergraduate programs in the next year, maybe the next year or two. But how will students sign up for an undergraduate program if they're not entirely sure that there's going to be a university there at the end of it to award them a degree? Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move, helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Our first bachelor degree will, will be next year. And it will be very, very, very unusual bachelor degree. Because what we saw from the previous year is that uh, uh, there are no children in Ukraine. Like six million of refugees, uh, majority of them, it's uh, women who left with children. All these women, they reported that they do not plan to come back to Ukraine with their children. But, uh, what we want to do at, uh, at such university, we want uh, to choose the countries with the biggest number of Ukrainian refugees all over the world, like in Poland, in England, and like in Berlin and Silicon Valley. And uh, for the first semester, we will teach, for example, in Poland. For the second semester, we will teach in Berlin. For the third semester, we will teach in England, then in, like in Silicon Valley, uh, etc. And for the last semester, we, we want to bring uh, all these children back to Kiev and teach them in Kiev and to show them that there are opportunities in Ukraine. So there are a lot of things that you can do in Ukraine. We will help them to attract investments for their startups, for their diploma work. And we hope that in this case, they will see that there are really like plenty of opportunities in Ukraine and they will stay and help us to rebuild the country. And all the dissertation we will teach in the big tech uh, offices. So like Facebook, uh, like Google, they are ready to provide the offices for our students so we can teach our students in their offices. And uh, like we believe that it also will help us to bring all this international expertise to Ukraine and to reduce this uh, skills gap between business and academia. And uh, like at the end, uh, we will bring everyone back home. That is Irina Volnitska. And uh, there's more from her, by the way, in the subscription, the podcast extra version. Um, so, Angelica, you've actually been speaking, haven't you, recently to Ukrainian tech founders. You've been finding out how they've been dealing with, and in some cases, thriving within this situation. So what have you found out on your journalistic travels? Uh, yeah, I, I recently wrote a piece about how Ukrainian tech entrepreneurs are operating um, in this war scenario. And um, it was a bit of a look back, considering the uh, two years since the... Um, the full-scale invasion uh, began. 
I, I was actually interested in um, in hearing what were the the um, motivations of these uh, founders, uh, regardless of their decisions to stay or to leave. I wanted to hear the uh, both sides of the uh, the story, without making it look like there's um, a right or wrong choice in this case. The point is that these are all tough decisions, right? Um, and I wanted to hear how they've been operating on a daily basis, their dramas and everything, how they had to adapt. And uh, it was really fascinating to hear them. Um, it is uh, a real um, story of, uh, of nothing more than uh, res pure resilience, really, to yeah. navigate through total uncertainty and, uh, and chaos. And of course, you know, business is hard at the best of times, let alone these which are arguably the worst of times. So did you encounter people who had started companies since the war started, since this uh, full-scale invasion started? Yeah. Um, it, what Irina was uh, referring to is uh, it's quite real from what I've heard. Um, tech sometimes is the only option. Uh, and particularly to start a company uh, is the only option. I spoke to someone who, um, interestingly, was uh, selling Russian software to uh, Ukrainian uh, companies. And um, he immediately um, ended the uh, relationship with this company as soon as the, the war began, for obvious reasons. Um, but... Then he started to uh, he started to uh, consider his options and uh, started a company. Um, finding a job was hard, so uh, starting his own company became the uh, the the best option. And uh, it is real; like uh, they they have to operate in um, really uh, precarious situations with. Um, uh, unstable mobile connectivity, sometimes no power. So they're having to uh, adapt to all of these circumstances. Yeah, that seems to be a theme that's coming up time and again when we talk about innovation in Ukraine. It's just adaptability. You know, these businesses mm -hmm. have no choice. Um, what about those who have left? Did you get a sense of people leaving Ukraine or even keeping their business where it is in the country, but leaving if they if they're able to anyway, leaving the country themselves? Yeah, some some people choose to do so. Chose to do that for 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 uh, reasons including a uh, personal safety, but also to um, avoid uh, being drafted into the army in the case of men, um, but also to ensure they were providing a, a stable service to their co uh, customers because oftentimes we're talking about global businesses. And it's quite tough because um, many of these founders had to sort of build the plane as they were flying it, uh, meaning mm -hmm. globalize their workforce. Many of these companies were entirely Ukrainian and uh, adapt their infrastructure, as we were uh, discussing just now, also shift their legal headquarters and uh, deal with all sorts of aspects to uh, continue at to attract funding because investors were not really willing to take risks, especially at the beginning. 
Um, so yeah, a, a lot of adaptation taking place. Uh, and also, um, it's particularly difficult to be a founder uh, based outside Ukraine when a lot of your staff is still in the country. So you had companies where they fully embraced the um, either hybrid or remote models, but you had uh, scenarios where uh, half of a company's workforce was still based in Ukraine and half decided to leave. So they really um, had to, um, to, to change uh, uh, management mindsets and working models to, uh, to adapt to the situation. Yeah, sure. And so finally, and briefly on this section, then, what about are people being encouraged to get back home? Are you getting a sense that that maybe those who left are really keen on going back or will they now stay put and maybe indefinitely outside Ukraine? Some of the people, uh, again, there's, um, there's no right or wrong uh, answer on this. And um, a lot of people are just taking each day as it comes. And some people um, moved elsewhere and uh, they re- rebuilt their lives and uh, they, they have new realities right now. But most of the people I've been speaking to, the Ukrainians I've been uh, in touch with over the last few months, they all want to, the, the ones that are based outside the, Ukraine at the moment, they want to return to that country because they really believe that tech will be key to rebuilding uh, Ukraine after the war ends. That's encouraging to hear. Angelica, thanks very much. All right, now, um, someone else who's been taking an interest in the state of innovation in Ukraine is Bhaskar Chakravorty. He's Dean of Global Business at Tufts University in the United States. And Bhaskar is also chair of a research initiative called Digital Planet. Great name. Um, And that explores the impact of digital innovations around the world. Since 2022, he's been following several Ukrainian founders and entrepreneurs and says that Ukraine's tech infrastructure that had been prepared since the annexation of Crimea in 2014 has been key to the tech sector's growth today. The infrastructure was a critical part of uh, the story. For one, the Ukrainian industry and the government had already plans in place for building in redundancy in the infrastructure. So this goes back to the 2014 invasion of Crimea. Uh, where they anticipated, you know, Russian invasions. And they anticipated that one of the first things that Russia would do was take down the internet. So most of the companies we spoke with actually had two to three different uh, ways to get on the internet if the first route uh, went down. And for some of them, they uh, had to use Starlink, Elon Musk's project, but most of them actually didn't even use Starlink. They had their own redundancy built in. So that infrastructure was critical. Another part of the infrastructure was critical uh, was the fact that the uh, the Ukrainians, because of this Dia app that people had already got on their on their phones, it was a great way for them to connect to a number of different government assistance programs, and then. That DIA app was, during the war, 
adapted uh, for a variety of war-related uh, efforts, such as there were job postings. So if you were displaced, uh, there was a bulletin board that could say, okay, here is a remote job that you can get as a school teacher, because, of course, children weren't going to school. So you could teach uh, you know, kids uh, you know, uh, all kinds of subjects, or you could get some other job as an IT engineer, or if... Uh, a company needed, uh, you know, uh, new coders and programmers, you could post on that bulletin board. And this bulletin board was essentially an outcome of a government app that had been provided. And then there was a variety of other apps, such as uh, citizens could post videos and pictures of uh, oncoming Russian tanks or other military movements in their area so that uh, that information could be collected, you know, by uh, the ministry and uh, they could, you know, make plans uh, accordingly. So there is both the hard infrastructure of the internet and this applications infrastructure on people's phones, uh, which was really a, a spectacular orchestration of what I would call the digital public infrastructure of Ukraine uh, that, uh, that worked beautifully. And it worked for normal circumstances, and it certainly has worked in a crisis uh, situation. And on uh, on, on top of all that, the government provided tax breaks for uh, small uh, and medium businesses and IT businesses were a critical part of that. I suppose we should be aware of not painting too much of a rosy picture about what's going on. You know, despite, you know, it's amazing, adaptable um, collaboration, you know, very adaptable workforce resilience that seems to be built into much of the system, even before the full scale invasion, um, Ukraine having highly educated uh, people, so much going for it and the tech sector. And yet at the same time, its economy clearly has been hammered. You know, it's reliable on the likes of the European Union and the United States Congress to argue their way into some kind of um, multi-billion dollar financial aid for the country. Ukraine is in very bad trouble, suffering greatly, of course, from brain drain, if we want to talk about talent. So just to give a balanced picture about how what you've Come away thinking about Ukraine as you go through doing this research. Where are we on a spectrum from, look, it's really grim, it's a basket case, all the way up to, yeah, you know, actually, there's still a lot going for this country and its tech sector. There is a lot going for this country. I've spent two years uh, of this last phase of a war, which started long before 2022. And here is this country that has essentially fought and defended itself and continues to do so with uh, you know, varying degrees of uh, support uh, from outside Ukraine. When I think about the different uh, ways in which uh, it mobilizes this defense, the first thing that one thinks of is nothing to do with technology. It's just got to do with people. It's the human spirit, in the absence of which none of this would have happened and Ukraine would have just uh, tumbled like a, a row of dominoes. Uh, but the tech industry and the tech sector really has made a difference. So if you think about that first phase of, you know, from 2022 to 2023, the Ukrainian economy collapsed by about 30%, which is kind of what everybody was expecting. And its two major exports, agriculture and, and, and commodities, they collapsed too because the ports from which these commodities and, and grain would uh, have to leave uh, were blocked. But as long as the internet was functioning, their third largest export, which is IT services, 
continue to function. And uh, it actually grew. It grew by 5% in that first year. We haven't seen the numbers for the next year. But from what I can tell, it has continued to grow. So it's a $7 billion industry, uh, which is spectacular. It's amazing. Uh, so when I think about the role of technology in this Ukraine war, it is quite humbling to not only see this as a potential growth vector during a devastating war, which has almost never happened before in previous wars, but technology also was critical in Ukraine's defense. When I kind of go back to you know, how this human spirit was mobilized, I would trace this back to the smartphone videos that President Zelensky had of himself standing in recognizable areas of Kyiv alongside his cabinet and kind of saying, I'm here. You know, we are, uh, the administration is functioning. And that gave so much of a boost to everybody in the country. And that was enabled by technology. So from something as basic as that to an entire sector and industry, you know, keeping the economy alive and, and, and growing in certain parts, I think is... Uh, uh, a really humbling and at the same time, uh, a really inspiring uh, use of digital technologies. Right, that was Bhaskar Chakravorty. So, Angelica, what is your assessment of the kind of state of the wider economy, or certainly in this context, the tech sector in Ukraine after what has been these two very, very difficult years? Yeah, despite all all of that's been going on, uh, the the entire tech ecosystem is very positive about what the future holds. Um, tech is uh, Ukraine's most significant export, but you also have to consider the bigger picture. Um, Ukraine's overall export value fell by nearly nineteen percent last year compared to twenty twenty two. And that was the sharpest decline in the last 10 years. So things are challenging for them. But we've been discussing this for the for this whole episode is how adaptable uh, these entrepreneurs and, um, and professionals are. And what we see is a shift to, uh, from, from services to products. So it, it was quite hard for companies to sell services provided out of Ukraine because um, customers didn't want to take the risk. So what founders have been doing is shifting really quickly, shifting their business model or diversifying to... Um, to incorporate products into their unique selling proposition. So what people have been telling me is that their products will uh, continue to uh, to grow very strongly and uh, their learnings over the last two years will mean that these will be uh, more resilient, profitable and stronger companies in the years to come. All right, Angelica, thank you. That's where we'll leave it. Angelica Mari there, joining us in Sao Paulo. Let's do it again in a few weeks, Angelica. Yeah, let's do that. Thank you. Loved it. All right. Um, so just we'll do the socials, then the credits. So you probably know the score by now, folks. The email is hello at somewhereonearth.co. On WhatsApp, we are code 44-7486-329-484. And you can search for us on various bits of the social media via Soap Tech. Remember, that's S-O-E-P. I don't know what you get if you get soap 
like as in detergent tech but you can try it if you want and tell us what you found um, or just search for somewhere on earth the global tech podcast and that should get you there as well audio this week has been by stevie arnoldi and john cronin here at lanson's team farna the production manager is liz teary the editors anya litterovich and i'm mr mitchell thanks for listening bye